You are listening to Hospitality Talks, a podcast about all things hospitality through discussions with industry leaders around the globe. Here are your hosts, Abid Butt and Sam Eric Rutman. Good day, everybody. Welcome to Hospitality Talks. And for those of our friends that are celebrating St. Patrick's Day, a very happy St. Patrick's Day. We are back here with you to discuss everything hospitality. Uh, lodging and hospitality industry has been decimated with COVID-19 and the resulting lockdowns. There is a saying that before things get better, they'll get worse. Unfortunately, Europe, the most visited region in the world, appears to be aligning with that philosophy with more countries in lockdown. Most recently, the news about AstraZeneca vaccine being halted in more than 10 countries. The sector continues to face many, many significant challenges, both in the immediate and long-term basis. Even with these challenges, some of the most influential investors are placing big bets on travel recovery. I am Abed Butt. It's great to be with you. And I'm here with my co-host, Sam Eric Rutman. Sam. Thank you, Abit, And uh, warm welcome to the Hospitality Talks. Uh, this discussion today is uh, very interesting because we are living in this very particular, uh, maybe a little bit unnerving time where we do not know what the short term is going to happen. And, uh, and even the, the long term will be, is, is be a challenge to predict. And we are now having a, a panel of a di- experts who are expert in asset management, but also they are companies that are investing into hospitality. So it will be very, very interesting to learn their views of how they, how they feel today. And maybe they can say, well, how they felt yesterday, <laughs> because things have changed from yesterday until today, as you mentioned a bit. So if, it could, if it's okay, let's bring everybody to the scene. Yes, please. And, and we join by a fantastic panel of professionals to discuss concerns and opportunities in European hotel markets. First and foremost, Dario Filipponi, who is the senior asset management with Schroeders. They own and operate about uh, more than 40 hotels across Europe. We also have Frank Croston joining us, who is the founding partner with Hamilton Hotel Partners. And last but certainly not least, Luke Boschman, who has recently joined Tristan Capital as managing director for their hospitality practice. Gentlemen, welcome to Hospitality Talks. Well, look, thank you for taking the time. And if it's okay, Dario, we are uh, going to ask you to start us out. Uh, Tell us a little bit, very briefly, 2020 performance. How many hotels were open? How many hotels were shut down? Which hotels performed better? Which hotels performed uh, uh, were challenged? So just a very brief overview. Most of the conversation needs to be forward-looking. Listen, uh, 2020 has been uh, probably one one in a lifetime uh, year, I would say. At some point uh, between March and April, we had 100% of our hotels that uh, had to shut down for um, lack of business or requirement from the governments. Uh, this has then uh, changed uh, gradually until the end of the year, uh, where hotels that were more exposed to leisure markets have uh, 
shown some somehow uh, some uh, some recovery, but that has last uh, you know up to the end of of summer, uh, and then to 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 be in a situation where occupancy were in the single digit, uh, you know, starting then in the end of Q3 and clearly in uh, in in Q4. So the drop has been uh, uh, dramatic. Uh, we are talking about a decrease of about 75% around of the turnover or 80% of the turnover um, uh, you know, versus uh, previous year. And, uh, you know, very, 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 very difficult situation. So, Dario, during last year, all organizations, all owners, operators, everybody went through cost containment measures because obviously revenues dried up overnight. Can you share some of the cost containment uh, initiatives that you put into place uh, uh, to the best that we could? Yes. Um, well, uh, definitely, you know, one of the key area of focus has been uh, the management of existing contracts, both with, uh, uh, let's say, associate and also uh, non-payroll related costs. Uh, clearly, you know, we have assets in different uh, countries and each country uh, has reacted, you know, from a legal standpoint uh, in a different way. So, uh, you know, this has been uh, also largely driven by the uh, local uh, regulations. But then, uh, you know, from uh, our side, we have focused a lot in reviewing the process uh, uh, of production. You know, when I say production, I mean housekeeping uh, process, um, FMV process, the way we do purchasing, the way we organize our undistributed costs, the existence in some cases of clusters and you know, whether or not this was adding value, etc. So there has been a, a very deep dive on a line-by-line, -line, I would say, uh, analysis uh, to identify the best, uh, the best way to, to keep costs down. Dario, the, the um, variable costs, I guess, are relatively easy to control, uh, hence the reason they are variable. <laughs> Talk a little bit about some of the fixed costs or, or that typically in, in uh, hotel lingo terms uh, are, are sort of tough to shed. Is there anything differently that you might have done in your portfolio to uh, um, eliminate some of those uh, line items? Uh, yes, uh, listen, uh, phase, when, when we started facing this situation, we, we changed our mentality in the sense that uh, you know, we get in a situation where uh, basically your uh, your survival, you know, gets the priority versus maybe also some 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 other supplier survival. At the end of the day, the situation is as desperate as that. And uh, therefore, you know, we we have faced a situation where we start renegotiating, you know, already defined prices of purchase, already defined uh, agreement for some of these fixed costs we have been in discussion with uh, with the management companies to try to uh, reduce as much as possible also uh, you know uh, their their contribution and their, their contribution you know their cost 
And uh, to be honest, you know, they have been also, you know, accommodating because everybody understood uh, the situation. So clearly a, a complete shift uh, of mentality, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and being uh, super reactive has been the key to bring the cost to the very minimum. Terrific. Now let's let's look forward for 2021. Can you uh, share a bit of what your projections are? What do you think hotels are going to perform? Uh, um, which type of hotels are showing better recovery trends? Probably, you know, clearly this is the one million dollar question, you know. And uh, <laughs> I mean, if you ask, if you if you ask me, even in two months' time, I I, I really you know, don't have a, a good answer to give you. You know, six months or seven months from now, it's a, it's a big, uh, it's a big call. Um, however, you know, overall, what, what it is clear is that the the leisure markets and the leisure segments uh, seems to be the one that are likely to to rebound uh, faster, at least in the very short term, uh, because you know there is a a need of the people. You know, to escape their, their apartments or their houses, their routine uh, or their lockdown routine, and also you know the fact of being of being home over the last months have helped to to, to have some some saving. You know that uh, that can be spent also on this type of on this type of leisure activities. So you know that one is where we see the opportunity in the very short term. We have observed even, uh, you know, last year, some hotels that have done uh, even better than 2019 for few specific months, like the, 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 the summer months, the hotels that were uh, coast side, uh, you know, seaside, they, they, they have done uh, even better than 2019. Uh, so we do expect this uh, to, to happen again and to repeat in uh, 2021. Uh, but then, uh, you know, uh, the corporate market probably is the one that is going to come uh, 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 later. And the mice, dog, the mice segment probably is the one that it will take a little bit longer to recover. Well, thank you for that. I think that's pretty consistent with what we've been hearing. Uh, leisure market appears to be bouncing back um, much, much faster. But you are correct. This, this desire to know what the future looks like <laughs> is indeed a big task. By yes. the way, I am going to collect bets on this. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sort of the Good one. <laughs> uh, optimistic uh, one that I think it's going to come back faster than, than uh, anything else. But uh, we could possibly start a derivative based on recovery and see how <laughs> quickly it comes back. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, turn it over to Sam here in a little bit, but one more question, if I may ask you, any new sure. initiatives for 2021 and moving uh, beyond? Well, uh, basically, now now is the moment uh, where we want really to reconnect with the clients because we know that uh, they are uh, starting at least uh, thinking, you know, and uh, planning, you know, as much as they can. You know, some countries are more advanced on the vaccination campaign than others. So you see that as soon as there is, uh, you know, this this uh, opportunity to 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 move and to travel, 
both companies and uh, uh, individual are very eager, uh, you know, to do it. So that is the moment really to recreate this bond, uh, to be present, to be on top of the mind of the client. And this is a key focus for us uh, in these uh, months to come through clearly, you know, marketing and other, uh, and other you know, activities aimed at uh, uh, gathering uh, client attention. Okay, terrific, terrific. Well, let me turn it over to Sam and I'll be right back with you. Sam, over to you. Thank you. Uh, I understand that Shuras is also investing and, uh, and operating its own hotels. So looking ahead uh, in the crystal ball, what are the considerations uh, you would need to make when you're looking at the future acquisitions uh, for the Shuras? But, but uh, listen, you know, uh, Clearly, clearly, um, uh, COVID has, has changed, you know, the dynamics of the transition, uh, transaction market, uh, because, you know, you have a, a windows or probably the next two, three, four, five years where it's very difficult to predict. So you need to consider this in your projection. Um, and also, you know, uh, you need you need to be careful at, at, at what has been also resilient, you know, during the last crisis and uh, and what you know the the future can hold in terms of uh, uh, geographic and in terms of demographics you know uh, so uh, you know the main the main criteria and uh, uh, let's say analysis for the transaction market has not really really changed but clearly there is you know uh, uh, an old period that is not as predictable as it was before, and this implies, you know, different uh, uh, different analysis and clearly more cautious. Uh, now we are looking at sort of the break-even points for uh, for the hotel assets. What are the sort of uh, break-even points that you're looking at uh, uh, for different hotel types or classifications? I understand you are operating. Are the four-star hotels that you are, is, is that in the market you are? Yeah. Uh, listen, we, we have, uh, yes, uh, hotels that uh, are the three to, to five-star uh, hotel, mostly four and five-star or luxury hotel. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it doesn't really exist a, 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 an answer, a clear answer, you know, because every hotel uh, lives in, every, in the different countries you know, live a completely different uh, situation. However, we have observed that, you know, uh, if we exclude the, the financial, you know, uh, component, meaning the repayment uh, of the debt, you know, we, we could be in the break-even, you know, now that the cost has been very much uh, contained, you know, occupancy in between, you know, 25 to 40%. Again, it's a big span, but it depends a lot on the type of hotel, the country, you know, the, the local regulation, etc. Yeah. Um, any particular market that you see is going to be uh, recovering earlier than the others? If you're looking at the areas where you have uh, hotels, just based on the history and uh, well, forget the history, but looking at the head at the future because after, after <laughs> yeah, good, COVID. Good, good point. I mean, uh, really, uh, you know, I, I think it's extremely important uh, on how the different governments here in Europe are, are going to uh, 
uh, tackle you know the the the, the travel industry uh, I, just yesterday i read that it seems that brussels or you know the european union is willing to have a common policy that define you know the rules of travel for 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 all the the the, the, the countries uh, in, in the in the continent and uh, you know if that is going to be harmonized somehow you know we will see the recovery of the market depending on the level of vaccination that each country is gonna is gonna manage to to, to achieve if on the other side there will be you know a, a lack of coordination in this sense then uh, you know that is a, a hundred million question. So Abit was one million. Yours is hundred million because we we really we really cannot say. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Dario. Uh, let me hand okay. over now to Abit for the rest of the questions. So thank you very much, D Dario. Relative to overall cash flow, everybody yes. has been strapped uh, for the past year because obviously yes. there was no business. The hotels were not operating, and particularly in Europe, different jurisdictions had yeah. different regulations uh, as to what could or could not be done. Uh, are you are you uh, looking at debt restructuring type of stuff? Have you gone through that? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the capital market side of things as to what that looks like and how difficult or easy that might be. But uh, also here again, there has been uh, a huge disparity of, uh, of let's say, policy, you know, among the different assets, uh, you know, in the in the portfolio, um, and um, there, there is not one fits all, uh, uh, you know, answer uh, or solution. So you know, but uh, overall. Banks, uh, you know, have clearly understood that, uh, you know, this is not something that has really, uh, uh, you know, uh, something that we uh, as owner or operator have caused. And therefore, uh, to to certain limit, you know, they have been uh, accommodating, you know, the, the, the necessity of additional cash and uh, and and that, you know, to 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 face this uh, this crisis. However. Uh, you know what what has happened is that uh, they they have been much more involved in the business, willing to understand all the actions that we were discussing earlier, aimed at you know uh, reducing costs and making sure that uh, we really take care of the business. But for us, you know, it has been fine in the sense that this is what we do on everyday basis. But clearly, the level of reporting, the level of exchanges with them have, uh, has increased, uh, you know, dramatically, um, which which I believe is normal. But overall, you know, we, we saw that uh, there has been understanding, you know, and and not, you know, the the, the willingness of just, you know, put you in the fault. Let's say. Fair enough. Dario, one last, one last question before we bring our next guest in. Um, sure. You have uh, in your portfolio some uh, uh, leases and some uh, uh, freehold type of uh, assets. It, it, are leases becoming challenging in this environment? Uh, how have you dealt with that component? Uh, Clearly, clearly, those ones are the have been one of the most critical. I mean, always been uh, complicated, but there, you know, it is clear that you cannot uh, repay, you know, the, the rent with the with the cash uh, coming from 
from the hotel and therefore there, there have been uh, very intense discussions with the landlords uh, which clearly you know are not uh, at all happy you know to 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 leave this uh, this situation and uh, you know we we have been uh, in long negotiation to find the best way to 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 keep uh, working with uh, with our landlords um, and uh, you know uh, we have been until now successful at uh, doing that but again because it's uh, a common understanding that this is not something that has been uh, uh, caused by mismanagement or miss let's say a, a bad bad operation overall and uh, again you know uh, sometimes the negotiations are tougher than, than others but uh, you know that, that it doesn't seem that there are many alternatives well thank you dario thank you for all that please stay with us we'll have you back in a moment but i'd like to bring Frank Croston uh, for our next conversation. Frank, you have a long history in the industry with big brands, with asset management. Uh, you started this, this Hamilton uh, Hotel Partners and recently you merged with Pyramid. Tell us what that merger has been like uh, in, in the, a little bit of an overview as to what you see in the industry moving forward. Sure. Well, thank you very much for the uh, invitation. And um, the merger with Pyramid has been great. I mean, it happened uh, back in February 2020. So unbeknown to all of us, just, just a month before COVID. Um, but the timing was good in the sense that it gave us a much bigger platform. The combined group now manages 140 assets with about 5 billion sterling of assets under management. And we actually see the coming part of the cycle, 21, 22, 23, as an opportunity to accelerate growth, particularly in Europe. Um, we're anticipating that as the post-COVID period settles down, uh, there will be a lot of um, M&A activity, which will require new ownership and thus create new opportunities for management or co-investment. Um, I'm getting some background noise now. The, the, oh, is that right? Hey, uh, would you, you're coming across very okay, clearly, so, I'll, so uh, I'll keep I think going. we will... Um, yeah, so in terms of... Well, uh, let me let me ask you uh, this: this uh, um, independent operator or third-party operator model is relatively new in Europe. Uh, obviously, in US, it's been uh, around for the longest time, and, and there are lots of larger entities that practice this model. But in Europe, it's uh, relatively new. Uh, do you see uh, this this particular model of uh, franchise and a an independent entity managing the assets catching on? And what's prompting this um, way? I think it's uh, it's it's here in scale already. Um, it's not as visible and obvious, perhaps, as it is in the states, because many of the third party managers. Uh, act within national borders, so there isn't necessarily a perception of them on a, a pan-European basis. But just to give you an example, Interstate grew from, in 2010, they had five hotels in Europe. 
and by 2020 they had uh, 140. So you know that's pretty significant growth, and there are others that have grown uh, on a similar trajectory. Event Hotels in Germany, RBH in the UK, Q Green in the UK, Algonquin. Uh, there are many, many um, providers of third-party management, many of whom are uh, co-investing with their capital partners. And I, and I think the the driver for this, as it has been in the US, is alignment. Um, it, it is perceived that the, the best alignment between uh, owner and operator is when they have shared and common economic goals and very often the third party manager will participate in the overall success of the investment over the whole period. So I think the drift towards third party managers using brand franchises is likely to accelerate as we go forward. And indeed the brands themselves are increasingly willing to franchise uh, at pretty much all tiers of um, the brand spectrum, with the exception perhaps of luxury or super luxury, where the brand is perceived to be um, too interwoven with the DNA of the customer experience. But I, I think it's definitely here to stay, Abbott. Oh, fabulous. And it appears to be growing globally quite keenly in. in uh, Africa and Middle East, it wasn't very big, but it's uh, uh, grown tremendously there, as is the case in Asia. Uh, so if this model uh, uh, is catching on, and, and some of the owner-operators uh, like it more so that they can uh, franchise the brand. I think that's a great segue in, in your portfolio. You obviously have uh, a branded, or if I may use legacy brands, and you have some independently branded hotels. Have you seen a shift in performance? Have you seen a shift in uh, a demand uh, uh, coming for these particular hotels? Uh, not particularly, but um, there's a lot of research suggesting that in the post-COVID world, or indeed as travel begins to pick up, that consumers may express preference for branded hotels on the basis that they will feel more psychologically comfortable that the COVID security measures will be done to a consistent standard. But in reality, I think that um, branded and uh, unbranded hotels can coexist quite happily and maybe strangely, but uh, it might be counterintuitive, but we actually see that um, independent hotels properly positioned uh, can perform very well in high demand markets. Where you need the brand is where you're in a, a more challenging market where it's difficult to attract demand towards you, then the brand can be your savior. But, you know, in London, Paris, New York, there are, you know, increasing examples of very successful unbranded hotels maybe sitting on a consortia platform that uh, trade very well. So I, I think um, the Internet and the availability of free travel information and TripAdvisor and the like has been a great leveler and have helped independent hotels of quality to succeed. 
but the brands through all of that have continued to grow and are vital both for the investment community and for consumers. Well, I guess in some way this relationship is a bit symbiotic. Uh, one grows at the back of the other, I guess, and in, 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 in they can coexist very, very well. And the fact that a lot of the big brands now have soft branded collections and that sort of stuff is obviously a testament to that, that independently branded hotels can indeed perform. Uh, uh, talk a little bit about the recovery trends, Frank, uh, it, it, uh, from a market point of view, and, and also uh, UK, uh, in, in, in addition to dealing with the pandemic, UK is also uh, dealing with the Brexit aftermath and, and uh, uh, some of the, the economic issues that the entire Europe is dealing with. So uh, help us understand the recovery trends, please. Um, I think everybody is looking at a, a long and slow recovery. So if we take 2019 as what we're trying to get back to in terms of performance levels, rate occupancy, rev par, the consensus seems to be that um, for some markets it will be 23, for others it will be 24. And probably the most disadvantaged hotels are uh, large boxes that rely upon scale meetings in urban environments, coupled with airport hotels. They're probably going to be at the back of the recovery queue. They'll get there eventually, and there's no reason why that business won't come back in force. But beyond the pandemic, we are actually exiting COVID into a world that's uh, by and large in recession. And so corporates are focused on repairing their balance sheets and improving profitability. So you can expect, even despite the slow recovery after COVID, that there will be very tight control over corporate travel budgets. There'll be much less willingness to spend on uh, conferences and events and exhibitions. Um, yeah. We believe it will come back very quickly. I mean, this week, the Bank of England governor announced that their predictions are that uh, GDP in the UK will have recovered to 2019 levels uh, within the next 12 months, which is an astonishingly, astonishingly strong bounce back. And I think the UK is probably leading the way in terms of um, the progress of vaccinations and the evident reductions in infections and death rates and hospitalizations, uh, which is all good news. But all that's doing is really protecting the health of the population and accelerating the time when the economy can get back to work and the news gets better every day, thankfully, but um, we are very reliant in the UK on international trade and within hotels, international visitation. So we need to be cautious because we need the, the European Union and the US and the Middle East and the Far East all to have viable um, recovery programs that allows their citizens to start to travel again. And as Daria was saying, we're all gonna be reliant upon a harmonized approach to 
whatever they're going to be called, vaccination passports that make um, travel easy and viable? Well, vaccination passports themselves have become a big topic of discussion, and we'll come to that in a bit. I, I guess the, the most likely scenario in the industry that is being talked about is somewhere between 10 and 20 percent uh, a decline in valuations and EBITDA recovery to pre-pandemic levels in 2024. There are th those that think that it might take a bit longer uh, for the recovery, and it's going to be a little bit choppy because, as you said, it's not so much as one country can um, uh, rely purely on their own borders and for domestic travel. Certainly, if there is demand for domestic travel, that helps. But a lot of us are very heavily reliant on borders to open and trade to commence. And until the world has been vaccinated, that'll be that'll continue to be a challenge. Frank, from your point of view, and I, I'll turn it over to uh, Sam here in a bit. Any do's and don'ts for hotel owners that you're dealing with as we try to uh, uh, deal with this unprecedented time of a pandemic and hopefully a recovery to come very soon? Um, do's and don'ts. I mean, uh, do engage early if you're in financial difficulty in terms of struggling to meet uh, debt service obligations or payroll or whatever the fin financial obligation may be. Um, it's a very challenging time for owners, big and small. And the best way through is to, you know, get advice early, engage with your lenders and stakeholders and navigate a way through. And if that requires recapitalization, either through calling in more money from the shareholders or renegotiating existing agreements, uh, the sooner you engage in that, the better. In terms of don'ts, don't discount into a falling market. Um, I, I think human nature sometimes in the struggle to maximize revenues uh, will uh, push hoteliers to drop prices in the hope of gaining um, occupancy share. And, and it's really um, a rush to the bottom if you follow that route. Really, the, the industry pretty much across Europe was offering good value to consumers pre-COVID. And the consumers aren't actually that price sensitive. They're value and experience sensitive. So if reducing price causes you to cut back on services or other visible aspects of the product or service to the consumers, you'll pay for it in the longer term. So I, I think <clears throat> within reason, hold price and focus on guest satisfaction. I think even more so post-pandemic, people are going to be sensitive to the quality of the product, the smile that they get at reception when they're checking in, the quality of the food and beverage. It's really back to basics. And I would encourage all hoteliers to you know, focus on the basics as the guests come back. We think that leisure is going to come back incredibly strongly. First, it will be domestic leisure and drive to leisure um, and business will follow. 
Um, but even with the markets closed to all but essential travel here in the UK, many of the hotels have been doing 40% occupancy. So the, the journey back isn't exceptionally daunting. The big change is that pricing power has switched from the hoteliers to the consumers, and we need to get uh, the volumes back up, which is probably going to be mid-22 onwards, so that pricing power is restored to the hoteliers' side of the equation. Definitely, definitely. And, and quite candidly, this issue with the rate drops, uh, we have all seen it, we have all dealt with it, but unfortunately, it seems like our, our industry is prone to having a bit of panic attack and, and dropping the rates, but hopefully we'll learn. Let me turn it over to Sam and I'll be back with you in a moment, Sam. Yes, my question is uh, key cost saving initiatives. What are some uh, key cost saving initiatives that you're, you are putting in place, uh, whether it's for a short term or permanent or on temporary basis until uh, you have uh, the hotels are in, in a full recovery? Well, that was kind of all done back in uh, March and April of uh, last year. And um, uh, I, I think cut and control early is the best way to go there because um, cutting incrementally becomes very demotivational for the team. Um, depending on the environment, and it changes, we're operating across a number of European countries, um, and what you've been able to do legally and the nature of the support provided by governments has varied quite widely but generally has been very good and very supportive of the sector. As hoteliers, of course, we'd always like more, but I, I think it's been um, across Europe uh, a very balanced um, approach by most governments. I think where we've made most success in cost-cutting is um, by staff reductions of non-permanent or casual staff and then where appropriate, where we couldn't see the business volumes coming back within a year, we've unfortunately had to instigate redundancy programs in order to protect the jobs of those remaining. So that's been very emotionally draining for all concerned, not least the people made redundant, but unavoidably necessary for the survival of these businesses. I think the other thing we've done is um, regarded no cost as fixed or immovable. We've renegotiated every single supplier's contract. And, you know, there are certain costs regarded as fixed that we haven't regarded as fixed and basically have said to the suppliers, if you want to be here next year, then you need to work with us this year. And, and generally, those dialogues have been very productive. I must say, because we asset manage as well as manage, that I think there's been very good engagement on cost saving and profit protection measures by the brands. And they themselves have um, reconstructed, if you like, their above unit um, staff deployment in either clusters or shared service centers and those costs have been reduced significantly. 
thus reducing the carrying cost at unit level to individual owners. So, it, you know, it would be unfair to uh, imagine that the brands haven't also suffered massive revenue and profit declines. But, you know, I'm just saying that they have been uh, very good partners to the ownership community in trying to do their best to reduce costs as quickly as possible and wherever possible. Uh, now with um, the pandemic and also looking ahead about the customer experience that you mentioned that, that how important that is, uh, the, the, the human, human touch and so on. But then it also comes to the innovation of the tech, technology which has become expected. What do you see some of the implementations of technology that is uh, already may perhaps been implemented in the hotels or what you see something in the future? What comes to my mind is that because of the pandemic, people are they, they like keyless or there are some other features that they see and hotels has been traditionally a little bit slow to implement because they want to see what works best for the other hotels before they jump in. But are there some things you want to share regarding innovation and technology for now and then for the future um, for hotels? I, well, I think maybe we're lucky, but um, almost all of the hotels where we're involved have already adopted the technology you're describing some time ago, such as um, you know, app-based booking, uh, keyless entry, um, being able to stream your content from your phone or laptop or iPad onto the screen in the hotel room. All of these things are great, but that's fine for a sense of not having to do interactions during COVID time. But I would say that um, uh, it can go too far. And eventually, people are staying in hotels because they want to experience the interaction and the services and the range of facilities. Uh, if not, be careful, because we're just going to push them towards Airbnb or service departments. A hotel is a place for interactions. And I think the technology stuff should be limited to what enhances the guest's experience and not to replace human interaction. Uh, it may take us 10 years. It's like destroying the high street because we're all buying on Amazon. And in uh, due course, you wake up and wonder why there are no shops in town centers anymore. It's kind of be careful what you wish for. Technology is an enabler. It's not a replacement of um, good quality service. Yeah, I mean, somebody has said wisely in the 60s that we overestimate the impact of te technology in the short term and underestimate the effect in the, in the long term. And I think it was also some uh, computer scientists that say that in the in the 60s and it's also true that uh, certain things are going to be implemented uh, and we are appreciated quite quite keenly now particularly during this time uh, okay thank you i will pass it over back to abit for the final questions well uh, just a, a couple of more comments frank before we bring our next guest in uh you talked a little bit about brands being good partners and curtailing some of the costs some of the standards have been uh, done away with during uh, this pandemic, just so that the cost can be uh, curtailed. 
what do you think is going to become permanent versus just temporary? Any initiatives that you think would be uh, uh, becoming a brand standard at this particular I'm, point? I'm genuinely not aware, and we are working across a lot of brands and a lot of hotels. I'm not genuinely aware of any uh, reduction in brand standards that has been caused by uh, a desire to save costs. Now, a lot of COVID-induced government legislation has had that effect. Uh, for example, if the uh, government says you can't serve in a restaurant, then the restaurant facility closes and depending on the government, you're either allowed to do room service or sometimes you're only allowed to do takeaway from a service point in the public areas. Now, those measures generally will have a cost reduction effect, but it isn't at the instigation of the brand. Another example, room servicing. Many guests have not wanted to have their room serviced at all during COVID. And so therefore the number of, you know, times your room is cleaned during a stay and the number of times your linen is changed may have dropped off, which appears as a cost saving. But I'm not aware of a single brand that has itself introduced that measure as a response to a desire to save costs. So my simple answer is we're all following what the law requires us to do. And as and when we're allowed to resume health clubs, gyms, meetings, weddings, whatever it is that we're, we haven't been allowed to do, I believe that the brands and the owners will be back doing them just as they were before um, COVID. I, I genuinely don't think there's a, a hidden agenda to try and curtail services because otherwise the risk is that there's no differentiation between select service and luxury that the customer can discern, which will basically hurt the luxury and upper upscale and upscale hotels uh, who no longer offer the, the value for money that they previously were positioned to provide. I think this conversation about the, the brand standards and relaxing some of the requirements is mostly in the middle band, quite candidly, possibly from uh, select service to upper upscale over a period of time, things have evolved where the, the uh, either the guest desire and or cost reduction, some things have gone away. But I believe luxury, of, by and large, would be left alone because that has a certain expectation. But you know, if if you look at it, uh, uh, some of these these social hours in select service or upscale hotels, they've been done away with either as a government regulation or a relief on uh, brand standard. I'm not sure whether that'll come back or this. A complimentary breakfast. I'm not sure if that's going to come back, or for that matter, daily housekeeping service, uh, which has been practiced in the brands forever. Uh, and then some of the brands started giving frequent guest miles to entice people not to take the daily service. And now because of COVID and because of guest desire, they don't want anybody in their guest room. So that has, uh, has been done away with. So It'll be interesting to see it, it actually what comes back 
because even the travelers have changed their habits. Uh, but uh, thank you for that, Frank. Really appreciate it. Please stay with us. We'll have you back. At this point, I would like to bring up uh, Luke, Luke Boschman. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, Luke, uh, not only that Tristan has decided to go heavily into hotels, they brought on a heavy hitter hotelier in yourself. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, what's what's prompting move into hotels? Oh well, um, I think um, about a year and a half ago. Uh, so the senior leadership of uh, Tristan Capital Partners um, already decided to go into the hotel space. Now. For the moment, it looks, of course, that like this is a yeah, more or less a COVID uh, strategy, but it's it's uh, it's not at all. So, um, um, as a, as a real estate investor, and, and Tristan currently has around eleven and a half billion euros under under management in in, in all different um, asset classes. Um, so at one stage, you know, if you want to continue growing, uh, then you have to go in um, in the hotel space because that was really the um, um, the area where uh, Tristan wasn't that active uh, yet. So um, um, that's why that's why the decision was taken to go into that space. Fabulous, and and quite candidly, it, it, at this. A stage of the industry cycle, there are a lot of people that are uh, entering into the market and private equity appears to be leading that charge because uh, massive amounts of uh, capital has been raised for transactions. What are you seeing in your pipeline? What are you seeing from transaction perspective? Uh, are, are valuations holding? Uh, give us a bit of an uh, overview, please. Okay, so um, um, so since I started in um, in November, we um, we looked at around 100 opportunities so far, totaling around 300 hotels. So uh, we looked at them on paper, right? We unfortunately we weren't able to go there. Um, so we do see some um, some activity in Spain, in in, in the UK, in Italy. Um, but, uh, you know, for the moment, um, with regards to transactions, um, you know, the, the, the one area where we haven't seen, you know, that much opportunity yet is, um, is in the distressed, um, uh, hotel space, right? So, um, so the, the, um, the real, uh, um, COVID price uh, discount is not something we have seen so far. So we've seen a little bit of movement, but um, in the end, not that much. As a matter of fact, you know, um, we even saw on one uh, on, on, on one opportunity that was a hotel which was already on the market before COVID uh, that the price actually increased due to the uh, I suppose the the lack of product on the market and 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 the uh, the amount of uh, equity out there. So. Uh, so that's interesting. I hope that's only, you know, it's gonna. That's only one anecdotal example, but uh, that was interesting. I hope so. Well, look, it's so far uh, from what what we've been hearing as well that the valuations are holding. Now it'll change because a lot of the government programs and in the uh, forbearance type of periods are going to run out. So I'm sure there would be more uh, stress on the market and there would be some distress assets that would come in. But by and large, from what we've been hearing, that the valuations are 
going to hold. Uh, 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 your investment thesis, uh, as, as you starting to put this thing together and you as a person leading the charge for lodging and hospitality investments, you compete with other asset classes, uh, offices, uh, warehouses, industrial asset classes. They're sort of very neatly packaged, presented very nicely. And then come the hotels where there are about million different variables that go into it and you competing for the same funds because your fund is a co-mingle fund. Talk a little bit about that, please. Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, I think it's important, um, you know, that we all believe it would be interesting in the, you know, long-term fund- fundamentals of our, of the hotel business, right? Um, and it is, uh, it, it, it is quite different, of course, investing in a hotel than investing in a logistical platform. Um, so uh, I also have to say that you know we have we started also with um, you know doing a little bit of um, <coughs> internal uh, information sessions about okay what does that actually mean you know in investing in hotels and because you are in the end you know buying a whole business with employees with uh, with, with managers with with lots of stakeholders so it is um, it is. Um, yeah, quite a different business, but of course, you know, we find that uh, uh, fascinating, right? So that's why, that's why, um, that's why Tristan decided to go there. Terrific. Hey, I, I will uh, turn it over to Sam here in a bit. But are you focused on a, any particular markets? You know, Amsterdam continues to be a very hot market. London and Paris and Berlin have always been in in the forefront. Are you looking at other markets? I understand Costa del Sol area in Spain, but Spain, generally speaking, has become a very desired investment market. Well, yes, we we you know we have pretty broad strategy first of all. So um, so we can look at um, uh, you know many different geographical locations within Europe. So we can even go a little bit to the to the east. Um, um but um yeah like um so we will definitely look at urban hotels resort hotels um we also like long stay i think we'll be more active in in like the the budget to uh, upscale type of hotels um that's where we've seen the most most of the opportunities so far as well um as long as these opportunities fit in our two uh, buckets so so we have on the one side a core plus um uh, investment vehicle and on the other side a value add fund and we can be active in both funds so it really depends on um, on you know where these opportunities where we will find these opportunities terrific well let me let me pass it over to sam and i'll be back okay. with you in a moment yes look uh, <clears throat> i have a question regarding uh, blockchain and bitcoins and the digital currencies Reason being, it has been a lot of buzz uh, about this uh, particular topics. And uh, I started to look at some case studies. And uh, one thing that came up uh, recently, I read about uh, the tokenization or the financing of hotels with uh, uh, tokenization. And meaning that uh, there were some test cases in uh, in uh, Colorado for a hotel that was uh, using tokenized to finance the hotel asset partly and then gives an opportunity to buy partial assets, not just a minority ownership or, or, or so on. So any thoughts on this and how, how do you see that uh, 
in, in your world, whether that fits into what you may consider in the future when you're looking at uh, prospective uh, uh, opportunities. In terms of uh, financing, you mean? Yeah, well, if you would look for that financing, well, or uh, for the moment, we're not there. We're not there at all. I think it's very early, right? So, um, so um, you know, with regards to financing, we we continue talking to you know the typical regular clearing banks, and um, and actually, you know, um, um, so so we had quite a lot of conversations lately, and I have to say, you know. Of course, financing is difficult for the moment, and uh, and um, but but you know the the signals we received so far is um, you know it's not all bad. I mean, some of some of our potential financing partners clearly said, okay, if you have an asset in the right location, um, talk to us, and we we'll see what we can do. Uh, we, we'll see what we can do for you. Um, a few of them said. Um, if you want to have a hotel finance, you know, give us a call after the summer. But um, but that, those were really the uh, the exceptions, I would say. Um, okay. Now this was just curious because it's uh, being discussed uh, in 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 the market and also since we have a uh, uh, few hotels hotel students and uh, master's degree uh, students who are uh, actively talking about Bitcoin, so they asked me to. Uh, to ask that question, so I thought I should share this in, in this uh, uh, episode. But over to you, Abit, for the rest of the questions. You know, Sam, it's a, it's a really interesting point. As a matter of fact, uh, I was just participating in a session on on uh, commercial real estate financing and, and uh, cryptocurrencies was heavily discussed. I guess the advantage of doing that is it will truly democratize investments in real estate. But at the same time, if you invest in a, a publicly traded company, it somewhat does the same thing, but more to come. It's not a very commonly financed uh, vehicle today in in uh, a commercial real estate, but I think it's a matter of time that it'll come in. in it, it's being used more often in multifamily sector than it is in, in lodging, at least that uh, that's what I hear. Uh, Luke, uh, talk a little bit about the future outlook. Uh, any bets on on recovery? Oh, well, that's uh, you know, like Dario said, you know, it's the million dollar question, right? So, so and and obviously, if you're you know, we've been looking at a lot of potential deals, and and and, and the question is always, so when are we going to come back to this? Uh, Previous peak level, which you know usually is like 2019. Not always. Sometimes it's, it's maybe 18 or 17. But um, and 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 you know to try to give an answer to that question. And you know in the end of your underwriting, you have to come up with uh, with with a with a, a, a concept or so you have to try to find an answer to that. So you have to really. I think uh, have a very good look to your look at your business mix and try to understand you know what type of customer you have, uh, where are these people coming from, these guests, and and when do we think uh, all of these segments will come back or not or differently, and and you know, you know obviously you know with, with regards to corporate corporate travel that will take a little bit more time, but um, uh, in the end then it's all about you know trying to come up with a business plan and a strategy in order to maybe replace that business or partially or um, and 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 work together with your 
management company or operating partner to uh, to to find the right uh, strategy to um, to make that investment happen, right? So, Luke, one last question, and then we'll bring everybody back together. In in an environment where capital markets are very hesitant, at least that's what we hear, except on performing assets, maybe they would be willing to come forth. In markets where transaction activity has slowed down dramatically, at least as of now, there are no real comps available, cap rates are up in arms. How do you underwrite a deal? Um, yeah, so there, there it, it, it very <laughs> much depends, obviously, on, you know, what, what's the type of hotel, what is the, um, uh, what are your assumptions, and of course, how are you going to price that risk, right? So, so um, I can tell you, we have a lot of discussions uh, currently about, you know, is this now, you know, a value-add investment or a core plus investment. You know, so 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 the line there is of course very very thin, and that's and it's it's fascinating, but um, uh, yeah, in, in yeah, there is no there is no um, not one answer for 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 this. You know, it's a very uh, deal by deal approach. You know? Fair enough. Uh, well, thank you so much, Luke. Thanks for being with us, Sam. If it's okay. Uh, we can we can bring everybody back together, uh, and, and I want to continue on with this particular uh, topic, possibly on valuing the assets, because all the comparisons are out the door. Uh, in 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 best circumstances, it was always on assumptions that we made. There are more assumptions being made today than ever. And, and I want to figure it out if somebody has the best crystal ball. So, Frank, if you don't mind, I'll ask you to show us your crystal ball and see how you would value the the assets and what assumptions will you undertake? Well, I, I think it starts from the basics of what does performance look like in the future and Although that's more challenging today than at any point in history, it's still something that you need to do. So hotel performance relates very closely to overall economic performance of the host country. So the starting point is what is GDP forecast to do? And then you start to look at, okay, is the demand here domestic or international? So if it's more international, or the more international it is, uh, the longer the recovery is going to take. What is the business mix? Is it meetings dominated? Again, that's pushing you to the back of the queue. But if you sat, I don't know, 10 investors separately in a room and gave, you the, gave them the same information, they would actually converge to a very narrow range of performance outcomes between now and 2025, regardless of the city and the history of the asset and the potential. Because we're all dealing with available information and extrapolating from today into the future, which is why when you run a bidding process, the bids come strangely to a very narrow range 
And it's the, the appetite to secure the investment, the enthusiasm, if you like, at the margin that normally um, predicts the winner. It's not as if somebody is bidding 20% more than the next bidder. So I, I think the process is fine. I accept entirely it's more difficult. But I think the, the miss is going to be on the slope of the curve rather than the end point that these businesses can get to at exit. And really, a lot of the value return is contained within the exit that's achieved. Certainly, the carrying costs become more burdensome if you don't get there as quickly as you hope. But a big chunk of the overall investment performance is exit-related. So the most important thing is, is this a good asset to own? What's our business plan? And if you were granular in your underwriting before, be even more granular now. That would be my, my message for how to pick the right assets to buy uh, during the next 12 to 24 months. Well, Frank, that's that's uh, very interesting. Two things, uh, it, it being more granular than the industry has been in the past, I don't know if any transactions would ever transpire. What will be paralyzed through analysis, what we've been anyhow. But what I find very interesting is, though the bid-ask spread is closing, I understand that the bids come on a wider range. You alluded to that they are coming in pretty pretty close together, which is, I find it very interesting. Dario, for you, it, it, you know, it, it, even apartment buildings or apartment dwellings with hotel-like facilities and services or extended stay product, but not typical extended stay hotel, the, the apartments have become a very attractive investment. Um, are you guys looking at alternate uh, accommodations or alternate lodging facilities, or are you still focused on traditional hotel operating models? Well, well, you know, we have been uh, looking at, uh, let's say, non-core, uh, non let's say, hotel type of investment, uh, you know, even before COVID-19. So, you know, that, uh, that has not really changed uh, for us. You know, in this specific case, we, we saw the resilience of the, 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 this type of assets or market versus the classical uh, hotel market. Uh, that, that's uh, for sure. Uh, but again, you know, um, the next crisis is, is the, always different than the one before. So the <laughs> fact that, uh, you know, it has been resilient now does not mean that you know, from the next crisis, it will be the same. Maybe it's going to be the opposite. So, um, I I don't feel confident to draw feel confident to draw any conclusion on the resilience on that specific market. Uh, you know, for 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 the future. However, you know clearly, you know as uh, as also the other panelists have indicated, it's fascinating to see how the industry is moving. You know, uh, is shifting. You know, from the classical hotel towards you know the the long long stay type of uh, assets, and uh, and uh, you know definitely you know it's also another area of uh, of opportunity there. Well, the most recent transaction of Extended Stay America with Starwood Cap and Blackstone, a, a yeah. big, big transaction, possibly the largest transaction during pandemic, I guess endorses that that segment has done uh, fairly well. 
but also if you look at Airbnb's valuations and how their stock has traded, that that continues to do well while uh, the the urban core assets are really subperforming today. But it's a matter of time that will come back. Uh, uh, Luke, for you, and, and, and I'll go to Frank after this for the same question. Any lessons learned from this pandemic? Uh, Dario already said, whatever we will learn from here, next pandemic, we're going to have to start all over again. What are some of the lessons learned that we can uh, put in, in our, in our uh, uh, toolbox, if you would, and hope that we will be not ever uh, be using that, but at least we'll be equipped with them. I think, you know, I have to refer a bit to my, to my previous uh, work experience where, you know, um, we used really the time to to go through the um, the cost lines, like 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 Frank said, said, you know, to see okay, where you know, where are all these you know costs? Also, the above property costs from the operators, for example, you know, what's in there? Because you usually get like you know one invoice with a lot of you know different <laughs> different meals. costs, and 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 you know when times when times are good, then you tend to focus on you know other things, and you have other priorities, right? But uh, but um, I think this was also a good time to to really dig, dig into that and say, hey, do, do, do we need a, I don't know, a, a webcam on the roof, which is uh, uh, showing the weather outside and uh, look at how much we pay for that. And uh, in some cases, we were even filming the uh, competition <laughs> across the road. So uh, so th- these are things, you know, once you start digging into into all these little cost lines, you, you you find a lot of stuff. So I hope that that we um, that the industry and the operators and everybody really, you know, learned lessons from that as well. And that you know, once once the economies are going to start to open up again, people are going to travel again. We don't see these costs coming back, creeping back like they say in the US as well. So that's uh, that. I think is uh, a good uh, good learning. Uh, Luke, that, that webcam that you referred to, I thought that was keeping an eye on your competitor and <laughs> seeing what the traffic was. But uh, Frank, any, anything else to add before I turn it over to Sam? Any lessons learned from this? Uh, well, I think pandemic? the lesson that the industry ought to have learned, but probably hasn't yet, is that the traditional lease structure is completely unfit for purpose to trade successfully for both stakeholders, landlord and tenant, through the cycle, particularly with this type of disruptive event. I mean, basically, the the lease construct is designed to give a fair reward to the landlord over an extended period of time and to impose a fair burden on the tenant to allow them to use the asset economically, productively, to make money over the length of the lease. Now, where trading is legally prevented, and yet the rent continues to accrue, clearly something is wrong. So, again, there are regulatory controls at play here that need to be reviewed. But take, for example, Germany, where leases are by far the dominant form of uh, real estate structuring, the BaFin uh, financial regulators' rules on what percentage of a lease has to be fixed require 
It's not written down, but you can you can guess it if you sue people often enough. Seventy uh, percent of the rent to be fixed. Well, that that's simply too high. And and what would be a far more logical structure is a lower fixed point and a more variable component that over a 10, 15 or 20 year period gives the landlord the same uh, rental receipts or maybe even slightly more, but in exchange, the tenant is able to survive. Now, you know, we're all interested eventually in the health of the hotel industry, I hope, and, and that's going to, once it happens, if it happens, lead to a healthier industry where all stakeholders benefit rather than the current far too narrowly constructed lease formula actually creates unnecessary stress both for the landlords and the tenants. Yeah, quite candidly, some of the leases, uh, 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 the tenants are just walking away because there is no way they can uh, live up to the terms of the lease and that doesn't yeah. help anybody. That doesn't help the industry, that hasn't helped the tenant and nor has it helped the uh, landlord. But okay. I, that's a conversation in itself. And it'll be interesting to see how the, the lease agreements evolve at the end of that and whether they'll be reworked because from the very inception of building that asset, certain assumptions had gone into the ground and it was that I as a landlord could sit and clip coupons essentially and, and the burden was shifted to the tenant. Uh, I don't know if that will survive moving forward, but thank you for that. Sam, uh, over to you for any questions and, and I'll come back in a bit. Yes, I have. Uh, we have uh, listeners and viewers who are from uh, various universities and uh, these are more on the, like sort of personal questions to understand the way you are thinking. So may I start with Luke? Uh, uh, during your morning coffee or tea, what news are you following that involves the, the role in the company you are at, so that affects your way of planning for your day or, or the week? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I think automatically, you know, when you read the, the, the news, you, you, you are going to look for, for, for headlines and, and, um, and articles which could uh, eventually impact um, your business going forward. Huh? So, so um, I think we all read this morning this uh, news about the, the what they call like the, the green, uh, the digital gr green certificates in the EU, where where you then have some some yeah a bit a bit, bit like a vaccine passport, but you will also have um, you will also have your or you know a negative uh, PCR test, or or it, it also tells you whether you already had. Um, Covid or not, um, so the, the 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 fact that uh, the EU announced that this will be uh, deployed in Ju in June is of course great news, and you say okay, this is one more, you know, um, uh, this is good news for the for the summer, right, for the resort location. So so automatically every time when you look at an article, you think about you know how could that impact my business? I think that's that's what that's normal. Yeah. Thank you. Occupational uh, hazard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So it's, it's not uh, reviewing how the Grammy Awards went in on in USA. No, I, I read that as well. It was very female this year as well, which I thought was great as well. So uh, a lot yeah, of uh, I agree. And, um, won Grammys. I think that's great. Yeah. Yes. And then uh, for Frank, uh, uh, a question, what makes a good asset manager? There's someone who probably is interested to, to get into the industry 
Uh, what are you looking for in a great asset manager and what would it um, be? Strangely, I would say that the, the greatest uh, quality you need is humility uh, because it's interesting being a manager and an asset manager uh, actually gives our team members good balance because it's too easy if you're only asset managing to become somewhat arrogant, aloof, and uh, overly critical. It's like a bit like being a theater cricket critic. Uh, and really, what the role that you're cast in is, if it works well, um, collaborating constructively to improve performance. And what does that mean? It means that if you do the, the job well and you're bringing ideas to the table and you're looking at solutions rather than offering criticisms without solutions, you become quite quickly a partner and a mentor for the operating team rather than a critic. And, and that's invaluable for the owner because this is all about winning hearts and minds. And if you can set the direction of travel correctly by having a strategy that works for all stakeholders, and then help people along the way to make sure that as implementation occurs, it's done as effectively as possible. The people on the receiving end of that, the operations team, actually buy into it. And, you know, the most rewarding thing as an asset manager is when the operator is saying, that was great, what's next? But I would just tone down, you know, I often wonder how people at university or wanting to get into asset management, imagine the process goes and it doesn't go as they think. You really have to uh, engage yourself at a granular level uh, and never ask a question to which you don't already know the answer and then you'll be fine. Excellent, Frank. There was a lot of value here. Thank you so much. Now for Dario, uh, how do you enter asset management? Um, for the person who has a dream to become an asset manager, well, uh, what's I, I your opinion that, about that? I think uh, that is very important that you get, uh, you know, some operational experience. You know, at the end of the day, although finally the the, uh, the, the job, you know, will not be reliant on you know how to uh, make a bed or serve a coffee, but at the end of the day, your knowledge of operations is what bring uh, lots of value in, uh, into the, in, uh, the table, you know. It is just, uh, you know, one, one component. Um, and then uh, I think that uh, it's important that uh, you understand also all the financial aspect. And that's why, you know, this, uh, this role of asset manager, it's really, um, uh, let's say, very, very, very complete, very broad, because you are basically the person translating the operations into financial uh, models and numbers so that uh, can be understood also by people that uh, are not really into the day-to-day -day operations of a hotel. So uh, being able to do this bridge, it's critical, you know, to, to, to be successful in this, uh, in this mm -hmm. job. And, you know, if you want to get involved into this, well, operation, finance, and then, you know, you bridge them. <laughs> That sounds like a good, very good mix. Thank you, Dario. Uh, Avid, anything else you'd like to add? 
Look, I think we, we've uh, ran over time, but I can't help myself. I'm going to ask one last question before we close, and I'm going to go to all three of our panelists and, and possibly starting with you, Luke. Uh, one sentence answers, if I may, because the time is very short. What do you think is going to be different in uh, 2021 and moving forward in our industry? I think the importance of the, the, the E in ESG is going to become more and more important, you know, the sustainability. How can we as a hotel industry, you know, help making, you know, this um, uh, the planet greener and what can we do together with the operator to, uh, to make that happen? Thank you, Luke. That was meant to be one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> <So> Frank, <laughs> I, I think this whole um, catastrophe will cause brands and franchisees to form better relationships uh, with more transparency and more give and take. I think both parties have behaved well, and I think the future will be brighter because of that. Fabulous. And last but not least, Dario. All of the above. It's, it's good as an answer. That's an easy way out, Dario. It's not that easy. <laughs> no, I mean, no, no, definitely, definitely, you know, the, the, the future uh, of um, is going gonna, gonna to really, I, I join basically look and the importance of the ESG and, uh, you know, the, 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 this change is dramatic and is going to come sooner than we expect. Well, thank you. I think the pandemic in some strange way is going to bring humanity closer. So thank you for all your insights. Dario Filippone from Schroeder's, Frank Crossan from Hamilton Hotel Partners and Luke Boschman with Tristan Capital. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for all your input. Really appreciate it. Over to you, Sam. Yes, I'd like to thank all the live viewers and also the, particularly the podcast listeners who has joined our episode. Uh, we are these days on anchor.fm uh, and there is a Hospitality Talks channel. So please tune in there if you have been viewing this because then you have a chance to listen to some great advice from our experts uh, Dario Filippone, Frank Croston, and Luke Boschma. So it has been a very great session. So with these words, I'll just close this episode and please look out for the next episode. Thanks for joining us this week on the Hospitality Talks podcast. If you find value in this show, we appreciate our rating. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. Thanks for joining us this week on the Hospitality Talks podcast. If you found value in this show, we appreciate a rating. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that will help us too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. Thanks for joining us this week on the Hospitality Talks podcast. If you found value in this show, we appreciate a rating, or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.
Thanks for joining us this week on the Hospitality Talks podcast. If you found value in this show, we appreciate a rating. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that will help us too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.